You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. All right. Well, good morning, South Bay Church. And for those that are uh, tuning in later in the day, good afternoon to you as well. Uh, My name is Rhett Butler. And if you are wondering where that name came from, yes, uh, it is from Gone with the Wind. And as a follow-up question, uh, my parents, especially my mom, was a big fan of the uh, book and the movie for sure. Uh, I have the, the pleasure, the honor uh, of preaching the lesson this morning as we get into, I think it's only fitting since it is Palm Sunday uh, that we, uh, we go into Palm Sunday in the scriptures. Now there's, there's different iterations of this story you find and it's in Matthew 21 and, and Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. And so we'll focus on, on two of those uh, books or gospels specifically this morning. And then we might touch on the other ones as references for the story. Um, before we get into that, however, I just want to share just a little bit about myself. Um, I've been a disciple of Jesus Christ for the past uh, 20 years. I was, I was baptized at Coronado Beach in San Diego. So freshman at San Diego State, go Aztecs. Um, we, we recently lost in the tournament. If you're a March Madness fan, that, that first round. So I'm still, I'm still not over it. <laughs> If you're a UCLA fan, you're, you're, you're cheering right now. I'm, I'm in uh, lamentations mode right now, still recovering from my pain. <laughs> um, that being said, um, I've been married for the past nine years. I, I call my, my wife, Martini, my Caribbean queen. Uh, I definitely uh, married up, I think would be the proper term. Uh, she's been a disciple for almost 21 years. She was baptized in the Connecticut church in the college ministry as well. And so I have to, uh, uh, before, actually, before I mention that, we do have uh, three beautiful kids, ages eight, six, and three. Uh, their names are Darius, Catalea, and Cyrus. Um, suffice to say, we have not slept in about eight years, <laughs> as anyone with young kids or has cycled through that season of life um, can attest. You know, never a dull moment. Um, you know, my wife and I have uh, traveled different places. You know, we first married the San Diego Church, and then we moved to uh, L.A. and Long Beach Church. So, just a big shout out to the uh, the Andas and the Russells and, and Jangs and just um, the G's, different couples that, that helped us, you know, just in our in our marriage and our growth as, as disciples, able to serve in different capacities there in Long Beach Church. So it's you know, this place that's uh, very uh, near and dear to our hearts. And so love you guys, uh, Long Beach Church. <laughs> uh, we spent the past uh, two and a half years, my wife and I moved from Long Beach uh, to Las Vegas. And so I'm an administrator for the city currently. And, you know, just uh, we've had this mantra, this, this mindset, if you will, as, um, as a couple that it doesn't matter if you're, you know, full-time in the ministry, so to speak, being paid, or if you're part-time being paid or, or no time, uh, it's all the time. You know, that is the, the mindset. That's a hard disciple. We've, you know, we've really tried to apply this way. We moved from San Diego to Long Beach, you know, being spirit-led, feeling like it was God calling us to, to be in LA or from, from Long Beach to to Vegas, you know, within that same spirit, all the praying and, and seeking God's will, wanting to serve in uh, whatever capacity we felt God was calling us to. Um, also, I just want to say just a big thank you uh, for LA, many things. One of the Marichis, just for this opportunity to preach and share. It's, it's, it's a privilege, like I said, an honor I mentioned before. Um, love you guys. It's been great getting to know you both as well. And um, I also want to thank the LA Church because my wife moved. Uh, from Connecticut in 2009 to the metro region. 
And so the only reason why I met my wife is because she was on this coast. <laughs> so little did you know, you know, the, how, how your faith bears fruit in different ways. It indirectly helped, helped me have a wonderful marriage with three kids. So LA Church, thank you. Love you guys. Um, that being said, I think it's about time to get a lesson. Uh, we are, again, mentioning, uh, discussing Palm Sunday. The title for today's lesson is Celebrating Jesus, which I think you'll see in this passage. Um, not sure which, you know, many of you grew up different faiths or, you know, very familiar with this, uh, this story or it's the first time you've heard it. So much to just to, to pull uh, from all the different passages. And it's this amazing story about Jesus, amazing moment in time uh, about Jesus in the middle of the ministry. Um, so our first point is worship the king. Worship the king. We're going to pick it up in Luke 19, and we'll be using the NIV version um, of the Bible this morning. So in Luke 19, it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Which I think is a valid question, right? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Such a, I mean, there's so much. This is a great story. Um, I'm trying to like get my head around even where to begin. And so a couple things. One, this moment in time. Background. Jews worship in Jerusalem. This time in Israel, the, the central hub of worship is Jerusalem, is the temple. So at this, at this moment, Passover is upon us, which is a huge festival for all the Jews in the land. So they're coming to Jerusalem. Jesus is also, as we can tell, on a colt, prophesied in the book of Zechariah, coming to Jerusalem, being celebrated. In Matthew 21 of this version, it mentions they use palm branches. So they have their cloaks, cloaks on the, on the colt, cloaks on the ground, palm branches waving. In Leviticus 23, there's this notion that the Israelites would use palm branches in worship, 23 verse 40. Worshiping God at this time, it was a seven-day festival. They're using palm branches. They're using them again. They're worshiping Jesus right here in this moment. Why is this so special? Different reasons. One, whenever you see, look in scriptures, you find Jesus around a crowd 99% of the time. I know I don't like to throw out percentages, but he's always serving the people, whether it's, it's feeding thousands of of followers or just a crowd with a couple loaves and a couple fish teaching in parables over and over again, forgiving of sins, 
healing a paralytic or lepers, someone with a fever, someone with bleeding, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, the synagogue ruler, raising Lazarus from the dead. Always something to do with the crowds and serving. Other times, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, the, the, the teachers of the law, those that were uh, you know, supposed to be the gold standard for following God, the guides and directors of Israel, they would challenge Jesus and they would tell him different things or try to trip him up in his words, find ways to discredit his ministry. In the case of Luke 4, they even attempted to, to kill him. They wanted to take him to a hill and throw him off the cliff because they thought he uttered some blasphemies and reading a scripture in the temple. But you see time and time again, Jesus is serving the crowd. So much so, you know, Matthew 8 references Jesus falling asleep in a boat when he was, he was so tired in the middle of a storm. His disciples are terrified because uh, for all times purpose, they think they're going to die, right? They look at Jesus and Jesus is sleeping like a baby. So busy in his ministry that he could sleep during a storm. <laughs> I like to think that he was just tired. And maybe you've had positions like that, jobs like that, or passion projects, or work that you've done, you dedicate all that you have, and you're exhausted. You get home, and you just fall asleep in your clothes. <laughs> I remember my younger years being an educator and coach and, and having five classes, and then uh, being assistant varsity and for basketball, and doing that practice for two and a half hours, and then having my own JV practice for, for two hours, and then taking uh, three people home and then having a lesson plan for the next day. And after that's all said and done, and it's like one, two, whatever I am, just fall asleep with my jeans and, and my shirt. <laughs> You're just so tired. You give all that you have. Jesus, at this point of worship, when you, when you see these people praising him and, and having all these utterances and, and, and Matthew 21, they're saying, Hosanna. They're telling Jesus, you know, save save now they're they're just worshiping jesus all these different phrases this is after three years of tirelessly pouring himself out this is the first time that you see in the crowd where it has nothing to do about him serving in some capacity it's all about worship Nothing about their requests, their needs, their wants, their desires, just worshiping Jesus. This beautiful moment in time. It says that the Pharisees that were there, they were telling Jesus to rebuke his disciples, right? In that, in that verse, tell them to be quiet. Why are they trying to worship you as, a, as some type of deity or God? And Jesus tells him, he has, these, you know, these, mo <laughs> you see this throughout scriptures when he's challenged with his words. There's this verbal judo, this even killed, even tempered responses where it's like, a, to use a slang term, it's mic drop. <laughs> After that, there is no response. There is no comeback. As I tell you, you know, if they stopped. If they didn't worship, even the stones would cry out. There's nothing that will prevent this time. Not me, not you, not anyone. It is ordained by God. 
five days before he goes to the cross. The crowds are just thanking him. It says that they're praising him for all the miracles he had done. What's the application for us? I think there's a lot. A lot here. One individually. Do we worship God like this? In our own times with him. This might be the even maybe the first time you've watched a stream before or for church or you're starting to consider God. It says they praise God for the miracles. They praise Jesus for the miracles they had seen. I believe that's verse 30, 37, I believe. Yes, 37. You might say, Rhett, well, I haven't seen miracles. I'm just trying to get to know God. We, but we have. We've seen miracles throughout the course of our life. We've tried to maybe uh, uh, nullify them or, or push them away as coincidences. Beautiful moments where we have a birth of a child, where our health suddenly recovers, where we receive money out of nowhere and support out of nowhere. We look at the natural world of things, just the beauty that you see, the intelligent design. Every day we wake up, every day our body fights disease. Specific prayers for many of us all the time. Sometimes it was a, a, something random like a dream. God is working in our life, in our lives. Whether this is your first time considering church or considering God, or you've been going for 20, 30 years, we have so many reasons to praise Jesus, to praise God. Great story about the apostles, the Jesus' followers, when they were in prison at one time. They're, you know, they're jailed for their faith. They're preaching this good news about Jesus. They recently died. They get thrown in prison. And what do they do in that moment? <laughs> Are they bitter? Are they upset at God? God, why would you do this to me? Woe is me. Mentality, no. They're singing songs of praise to God. We might not always feel that desire to praise God, to worship Jesus. But as scripture teaches, there's always a reason. Think about this for our corporate, you know, our, our church worships, our region worships collectively. And you've heard many lessons about COVID and, and the pandemic and all the things that it's afforded us, whether it's exposure of our hearts, all these political social justice issues coming out, bringing the real attitudes of our hearts to the forefront. Whether it's just the time that we've had, like a Sabbath year in many respects, to truly reflect on, on, on who we are, to have this introspection and, humi and humility, to consider where our hearts are really at, to think about our methodologies as a church, our direction as a church, all these different reflective moments that come out in this past year. God giving us this time. I'd venture to say when, when God would consider our worship, as we know, church is the most segregated day of the week across America. God giving us the time to say, hey, you know what? Put this on pause. 
we have to think and truly consider why we do what we do. Dare I say that God wasn't always pleased, not just with us or just specific region, but looking at the, the, the Christendom, the, what is called Christianity, what is called the, these, these Sunday church services, these houses of worship, and said, you know what? Let's take a break. And let us evaluate where we're at. So when we come back, when we turn together, whether it's 50% or 75% or 100%, depending on what state you're in, that these times, they truly mean something. We're not going through emotions, the rote memory, traditions. This is a time where we look at a passage like Palm Sunday and the spontaneous worship. Disciples of Jesus Christ waving their palm branches, singing Hosanna for all the miracles they had seen, that our times together can be characterized by this type of worship. You know, I saw the, um, the video for the mass Singer <laughs> time you guys had together recently in South Bay Church. I've seen a couple of the episodes of the actual show, but, you know, I don't watch it that frequently. But it was, you know, it was an encouraging time. Just, just watching, uh, seeing everybody mass, singing, have fun at the park. Sunday's, you know, Easter's a, a week away. It's almost like a kickoff type service of us getting back together for, for many fellowships. It's time to return together. And you can feel that spirit in the air. What will that time look like? You know, many of us have been to conferences and and had these, these, these amazing worship type experiences where you're looking around the crowds and you see like 10, 15,000 people all singing in unison together. It's like God's spirit is just hovering over the room. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is just pouring out of people. Worship is so pure, so unadulterated. It, it's almost better than any sermon. You remember it more. Than any lesson. I would submit to the South Bay Church that we don't have to wait for times like that to have an experience indicative of that one. We can have those times every single <laughs> service that we're together, whether it's a midweek or a Sunday. Our worship can be inspirational. It doesn't have to be thousands of people. It can be 50. It can be 25. It can be 10. But what happens when every single heart is like this passage? Do you not feel uplifted, encouraged, built up, strengthened, edified in some capacity? Do you feel like you're a better man or woman of God for having been there when you're around that type of worship? Absolutely. There's another point. So point number one is worship the king. Point number two is clean house. 
you know, a, a day later after, so this triumphal entry when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. There's a story about a fig tree, and, and, and we're going to reference Mark 11. I'll read a little bit from there. And then right after this fig tree story, Jesus comes back to the temple. He, he sees something that, let's just say, upsets him. So including the spirit of clean house in Mark chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he, as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Yikes, right? <laughs> for, for many of us, if you haven't seen this passage, it can almost be um, you know, counterintuitive. Like, who, who's this Jesus that's turning over uh, money tables and, and another version of this story mentions that he you know kind of made a, a makeshift uh, whip out of cords and was driving the people out Jesus had a response indicative of righteous indignation he was just upset as he was supposed to be in that moment <laughs> hard to envision you know Jesus getting mad but being upset for the right reasons. They were making money. It was about profit and greed in a place that was supposed to be characterized as a house of prayer. Lining your own pockets in the house of God. An egregious offense. Question, what will Jesus find he makes this triumphal entry to the temple of our hearts. What does he see? We may not have, you know, this exact sin, so to speak, in our hearts in reference to trying to profit using, you know, peddling the word of God for profit finding ways in this case they're using the sacrifices that were you know that occur at the temple you could sacrifice a dove and sacrificial some sacrificial worship was common for the Israelites so you have people hey dove 10 drachma you know whatever the, whatever the price was that may not be our sin but what is that one thing that when Jesus comes to our heart, he says, this needs to go. Now, if we are to be close, if you are to worship me as prescribed, as hopefully desired, this has to go. This sin cannot remain. What is it for you? I think back in my own, you know, life and, and 
when I first studied the Bible. In many respects, I was one of those people that was kind of, I was ready. You know, I, I was thinking about God and, and had just a lot of prayers about searching for him. But there's still always something you have to give up. I had to consider whether or not I was truly going to let go of the world. And many of you have been in that situation where you had to, okay, I have to let go of fill in the blank. It could have been, in my case, it was, you know, the alcohol and, and promiscuity and different things. But now you fast forward. So let's say you're not starting your journey, but let's say you've been in church for a long time. 10, 20, 30 years. If we're not careful, I mean, let's think about, for example, being in Southern California. I, I grew up born and raised in California. I was there for 34 years. There's certain things just by living there that can slowly infiltrate our lives. In many respects, when people think of the world, they look no further than Los Angeles. <laughs> we have to consider that some aspects of living in Los Angeles from, from the worldly standpoint, from a sinful standpoint, can, can affect us. We can't say, oh, no, I'm just, that's, that's not who I am. The materialism, the, the, the image consciousness, keeping up with the Joneses, the financial security, the, the selfish ambition, making sure that our houses are built up exactly how I want them, but then the house of the Lord is left in shambles. We can't think that these things won't impact our lives. They will. Or possibly we could be in the case of the Pharisee. The one that actually opposed Jesus said, tell your disciples, you know, rebuke your disciples, tell them to be quiet. If we've been in church for a long time, we can do things based off how we believe church should be done based off on our experiences, our own methodologies. This is what needs to happen at this moment. The Pharisees were convinced about what needed to occur at that moment and was not worshiping Jesus. And in doing so, they were inhibiting the Holy Spirit of God. They were trying to stop what God had ordained. <laughs> Literally prophesied about Zechariah, I believe chapter nine. Because they were so convinced that their way was the right way. They'd intently say the scriptures. They had been, in their minds, been a disciple of Moses and, and following God for decades. That no one could tell them different. So even in a moment so beautiful, they made their own judgment about what needed to occur. And it was contrary to the will of God. Worshiping the king and cleaning house. Some practicals. This week, go to your favorite worship spot. <laughs> Here's your challenge. If you don't have one, go to a place that's somewhat secluded, um, you know, ideally a little bit of nature, and spend some time singing and praising God. Think of all the miracles, all that God has done throughout the course of your life. 
and worship him. Practical or challenge number two. In the spirit of clean house. First John 1 talks about confessing our sins to each other so we may be healed and that the, you know, purifying our hearts, purifying ourselves from all unrighteousness. If there's something that you need to talk about, a level of vulnerability that you have not reached, something that you're holding that you know is keeping you from drawing closer to God. Find someone you know, find someone you trust, find that safe person, whether it's a spouse or best friend, roommate, whoever it is. Maybe even someone that told you to click on this link and watch church today. (laughs) Take the leap and get open so that your worship can be one that's uninhibited and pure and truly pleasing to God. I want to thank everyone for listening today, giving me this opportunity to, to preach. Marichis, thank you again very much. Hopefully you've gleaned something from this service, from this sermon, I should say, that, that resonates with you and that will help you draw closer to God as we celebrate Palm Sunday. At this time, my wife is going to share her testimony and how God, you know, called her and brought her into a loving relationship with him. Good morning, church. My name is Martini Butler, and today I'm going to share with you my story on how I met Jesus. First, a little background about myself. My family and I are from IT. We moved to the States to seek uh, political asylum. My dad was a part of the Haitian government and he rebelled against the president. And so because of that, we had to quickly move because he had a hit out on our family. One of my aunt decided to stay behind and unfortunately about a month later, they um, blew up one of our family home. Uh, Thank God my cousin made it out safely and he ended up moving to the States with us. Uh, Living in the States was um, very different from living in the islands. Uh, We learned a lot of new things, including a new language. Um, That's when my mass started coming on, more mass started coming on. When I was in Haiti, the biggest mass for me was a mass of fear. Uh, Church wasn't really a part of our um, everyday life. Our religion of choice for for my family was voodooism. My grandpa was a voodoo priest, and that's what we practiced. Uh, we had rituals at night, sacrifice, and everything was in the evening. Uh, I remember just having nightmares growing up um, about those some of those sacrificial rituals that we've done. We did. As I got older, um, I remember we were like in about seventh or eighth grade. My parents decided to go to church because we met a family that was going to a Baptist church. Uh, the family quickly became very. We became very close to them, and um, I remember going to church and just thinking, oh, wow, this is such a joke because people are preaching in church but then knowing their real life, what they, who they were. Uh, for example, you know, some of the husbands you know, had wives but also had girlfriends. And in my, my culture, it's very, um, people are very honest about things like that. So it wasn't a secret that um, so-and-so had a girlfriend or had many girlfriends. 
And so it was hard for me to take religion very seriously because God wasn't taken very seriously at the church that I was going to. So as I got older, um, I just became busy with, with school, with sports, extracurricular. The reason being is because in our culture, um, Haitian church, you go to church like four or five times a week. And so for me to kind of stay out of that, I made sure that I was busy <laughs> with um, running track, uh, softball and field hockey and extra, you know, dancing and whatever activities I can get into, that's what I did. I remember thinking, as soon as I became a senior, um, I was like, I need to get out of this town. I need to get out of Connecticut. And that's exactly what I did. I ended up going to school in Providence. Uh, right before I left, uh, my dad did become a minister and had started his own church. And so I was so glad to be out of there. I was like, I am not going to be part of this. Um, and so I remember first year of college, I loved it. it. It was just partying and partying and partying, just more masks being put on. I used... Uh, drinking and partying just to mask my sadness, to mask many more insecurities that I, I had that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, even insecurities with, um, that I care with me for many, many years was that one of my brother had passed in a house fire and I had made it out, but he didn't. And so I had this survival guilt that I cared with me for so many years and until college, I, I still had it with me. Um, I remember summer break when I went home, my brother and my best friend, um, apparently they had already become disciples. I, I wasn't aware of who, what they were, but I knew they were different. And I was curious. And they had invited me to church. I remember my first church visit, everyone was just so kind and loving and just wanted to hug. I'm not a hugger. And so it was very strange for me. But then it, I was intrigued by it, that everyone was so kind to me, who I which I felt like a stranger. Immediately, my best friend had asked me to start on the Bible, and so I did. And I give them a hard time because that was my plan, um, but quickly got humbled by, by the Word of God. Um, just learning how, how much God loved me and these women that I had just met, it was easy, like easily my mask started coming off. Little by little, I just started being more vulnerable with them. I was sharing my deepest, my deepest secret, secrets um, you know, secrets of, you know, how I wanted to hurt myself because I was in so much pain of how lonely I was. Um, and through it all, you know, they walked with me. One of the scriptures that stuck with me the most was in Luke 14, 25, and Jesus talked, talking about how we need to love our father and mother less um, so that we can become his disciple. I remember reading that when I was in the Bible, just thinking, what a hard calling. Like, who could do that? Not knowing that, about a few weeks later, I would be faced with that. Uh, as, as I studied the Bible, I knew, like, this is what I wanted. And so I remember having a conversation with my dad and just letting him know, like, hey, I found this church, and they're teaching me about God, and they're teaching me about his Bible, and I'm enjoying it, I'm learning a lot. And his conversation to me was, if you do this, if you decide to be part of this church or get baptized there, I will disown you. Me thinking, oh, it's just a conversation. He's not serious. And so, sure enough, I got baptized a, f uh, a couple weeks later. I remember feeling like I was on top of the world, like nothing can touch me. It was just such a great day. And I remember going home, and I told my dad what had happened. And I got baptized, and I was excited. And he's like, pack your bags. You need to go. And even through my best day, Satan tried to bring me down. <laughs> um, and I just remember, you know, how the sisters, they were just there, ready to walk with me. Um, and so many people opened up their homes, and I ended up moving out. 
and start basically starting over. I had to start school over on my own because my dad had cut me up financially. And through it all, you know, I I then understood that scripture in Luke fourteen twenty five, because now I had understood hope. I had understood that Jesus died for me and why he died for me and that he will be with me. And, and I felt God with me through those times. I never felt alone. I always felt like I can go to God and I had sisters with me, praying with me, praying for me and willing to walk with me. And all the masks slowly started coming off little by little. Um, and the one thing that I had to continue to work on was forgive, forgiveness. My dad and I um, had a strange relationship. He didn't want to have anything to do with me after I became a disciple. It wasn't until many years later where he initiated a conversation um, for us to talk, and we did. And from that day on, I was so grateful that I never gave up uh, on him and, always, and also that I fought through forgiving him. And now we have the best relationship. You know, my dad even, you know, share his faith in, with people and, and send them to me. Like, hey, my daughter in her church can help you. <laughs> and that's something only God can do. And I'm just so grateful that my brother and my best friend never gave up on me and that they came home and shared what they had learned in school and that I was able to um, be able to become a part of God's family. Thank you guys for listening to my story. Thank you, Martini. Uh, for that amazing sharing. I might have had a hand in recording that. So <laughs> um, at this time, we're going to take the communion and pray. And hopefully we think about our own journey, our own walk with God. Hopefully something that she shared this morning touched your heart. It helps you think about the power of the cross transformative, the, the alluring power of God, the love of God that just draws us in. It's irresistible. Consider that this morning as you take communion. Let us pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much. You're an amazing dad, wonderful father, a powerful God all-knowing, all-loving. To have a relationship with you is to know true life. To have the hope of eternity. To one day see your face and what you look like. We can't wait for these things. We long for these things. Help us all, God, wherever we're at this morning on our journey with you as we take communion. To be humble before the cross. thank you, to thank Jesus for sacrifice. It's a pure example of love. To lay down your life for us when we were still at our worst. Help us, God, to appreciate, to acknowledge. Pray that it motivates us, Father, to draw closer to you, God, to be better for you, to live a life worthy of a calling that we have received. God, we love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.